You know, Dano Seasoning is changing the world one table at a time by offering the best all-natural low-sodium seasoning products on the market. Dano's goals are to provide you with real flavors to make healthier food choices without ever having to sacrifice the real taste. Dano's includes low sodium, which is only 50 milligrams per serving. It has all natural unrefined sea salt. There's no sugar, no MSG, no chemicals, and it's completely gluten-free. Also, there's 100% natural ingredients. Dano's seasoning is the most versatile seasoning on the market. Grill, smoke, bake, create soups, sauces, marinades. You can also sprinkle Danos on your eggs, your potatoes, maybe some pizza, maybe some pasta, and even while you're watching a movie, sprinkle some Danos on popcorn. Heck, if you're crazy, why don't you put some Danos on ice cream? Any food that exists, you can put some Danos on it. Go to danosseasoning.com, use my promo code HodgePodge, capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. Guys, remember to do that. Um, just like the spelling of the podcast, a capital H and a capital P in HodgePodge. You can try all three flavors, which include original, spicy, and hot chipotle right now today. It's damn good. Yum, yum. Get you some. We are sponsored by Raise Energy. Powered by the enhanced refresh technology, Raise Energy delivers with a performance-enhancing energy drink that aids in the most often overlooked categories. Raise Energy targets focus, enhances your recovery time, improves clean energy levels, and boosts your stamina and hydration. Most importantly, each single can of Raise Energy has absolutely zero calories, zero sugar, and zero carbohydrates, which that gives you a smarter and more healthier option. You should not have to settle for an energy drink that contains more sugar and carbs than you can count. Opt for the number one fan-voted energy drink on the market today with Raise Energy. If you want to get yourself a can of Raise Energy, go to repsports.com, R-E-P-P, sports.com. Use my promo code HPP1000, HPP1000 at checkout, and you will receive a generous discount. Welcome to the podcast. Um, something different today. We don't have a guest. I've been a little under the weather, so I haven't felt like recording for the past week. Um, I just have been having some stuff go on. So um, we've got a replay episode today, um, which I know a lot of people like and a lot of people dislike. But um, it's my show. I can put what I want on. So the replay today is Keith Anderson. Uh, he's chatting about his songs, Picking Wildflowers and Double XL. How he got Tommy Lee to appear in a music video and kind of how he persuaded Steven Tyler to do a remix of one of Keith's songs. So all that and more right here on this replay episode of the HodgePodge podcast. Did you just now get on or were you? No, I, I saw I saw you trying to get on. So I was just going to I was just going to be patient, let you get it. So because they told me that, uh, yeah, that, it, was, that it may it's not, just work. not working on the computer. <laughs> it's just not working on the computer. It showed your it showed your podcast. And it showed mm-hmm. my name next to each other, but it just wasn't connecting for some reason. So, guess we'll oh. have to do it like this. If that's okay. Hey, man, whatever works for you, I'm fine with it, dude. 
But I, I really appreciate you uh, taking your time out to do this for me. Heck yeah, man. No problem. Uh, I, I don't want to make you, because uh, I know when people say this, you're like, ah, oh, you're making me sound old, but you know, I'm only 23. So, you know, your music to me was kind of, was, was, was my childhood really. Like I remember when, you know, when picking wildflowers came out and that was just how big of a jam that was at the time. And so for me to get, for, for, for my little self to get you on this small podcast that I got is really, really a massive uh, success for me. So I really do, really do thank you for it. No problem, man. No problem. Good to, good to be out doing it and, and, uh, and talking to people again. Have you done any kind of long form podcast before, like longer than 30, 45 minutes? No, uh, just, uh, no, no, other than just my live, you know, Facebook live shows or, Anything like that we've done. That's about it. Well, I'm happy to what? take this uh, this this 45 minutes to an hour uh, from you from doing the uh, your first uh, major podcast. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I may have to figure out a way to put my phone somewhere where I can uh, don't have to hold it the whole time. Hey, you're cool, man. We'll, we'll figure that. Go go ahead and get it figured out here, and uh, I'll just uh, introduce you to all the people here uh, while you get all that figured out. No problem. Just take your time. All right. So, not sure how I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to figure it out. <laughs> With me right now is Keith Anderson. Keith Anderson was big in the early 2000s. You know, picking wildflowers, double XL. Every time I hear your name, I still miss you. He's also wrote a, a, a couple of hits here that we're going to talk about today. Um, so, man, talk about me. How has the 2020 been treating you? I know we're trying to, we're into 2021. So hopefully the uh, vaccines are going to take place. We're going to do better than 2020, but how did last year treat you? Oh, it was interesting. It was interesting. Mm. It's been a, um, (laughs) uh, we were finally kind of signed back up to to start going out and doing a bunch of shows again. I took, take some time off. A lot of people don't know what has gone on and I kind of went MIA for a while, but a lot of that was uh, in a pretty rough three-year custody battle for my kids, which I eventually won. But it was wow, congratulations. Um, thank you. But it was um, across two different states, thousands of miles back and forth, and a long, long wait to try to get them back home to Tennessee. And so uh, I, I finally got all that settled in late 2017, and then just kind of settled in to be to be a dad and take care of them. They were three and five when they got back. So uh, they were still young. So it was a really big deal for me just to, to be a dad and, and make sure that uh, we got everything back on track. And so uh, so la- last year was going to be the year that we started touring again and working on new music and doing all the things that were necessary to, to get back out there. And and then uh, the COVID hit mm-hmm. and uh, changed everything. And man, and a, a big part of that was a lot of this online remote school that you know we had to become a part of and last year it was a kindergartner and a second grader this year it's a first grader and third grader and and uh although i i found there's a lot a lot of difference in in teaching and uh, uh knowing being good at school and teaching school I, more respect for the teachers than i've ever had up this last year because i'm pretty sure even though i graduated at oklahoma state with a three nine in engineering I'm pretty much failing third grade math right now. So dude, I, think- I am. Like I said, I'm only 23. I've only been out of school for a few years. I can't even do my cousin. She, she's 
we, we basically, you know, they lived with us for a long time. And so my cousin did come over here. She's like, oh, we need help with our homework. I can barely even do it. And she's first or second grade. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's changed in like four years. Yeah, it's it's a ton. And they're, they're, some of the methods they're doing is, is a little different than what we did. So just kind of have to relearn that and, and try to learn to be a, you know, not only a dad and a, and a musician and a singer, but also a, a elementary school teacher, which I'm not very good at that. And it's pretty rough sometimes when they're home that, you know, just all day we're doing those remote classes and then still having homework. And it's, it's pretty exhausting. I got a lot of, a lot of respect for teachers and a lot of respect for, for the single parents out there. That's for sure. A hundred percent, man. I'm not even, so my question is, did you always want to be a father and a husband or was it kind of like, you know, you were living the single lifestyle and you kind of enjoyed it so much? No, I, I grew up in a, a real strong Christian family and was in church, youth group, all that stuff. And I, I really honestly thought I'd probably married by the time I was 25. And, and I've always wanted, I thought I'd have five or six kids by the time I was in my mid thirties. And, uh, you know, God has his own plans. I didn't get married till I was in my mid to late thirties. And, uh, and then luckily had, had a girl and a boy. And uh, so I got one of each and just love every second of being, being a dad, but, yeah, I just, uh, I think just because of some of the pursuits I did and, and uh, uh, just working hard on this music thing when I lived in Dallas and then eventually moved here, um, just kind of the opportunity just never met the right person. And I guess I still have it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I, lo I just love being a dad. I've always wanted to be a dad for sure. Now, did you think when you were, you know, at your highest as a musician that you know, you could meet the right lady and have kids, but did you think that you could also struggle the musicianship and the parenting and the being a husband factor? Say that again. I wasn't sure how. No, no, you're cool. Um, I, I'd ask that when you were at your high of being a musician and let's say the right person came along and you got married and you had kids, did you ever think about how you were going to juggle, you know, being musician always touring and, and being a father and a, and a husband there we go i lost you there for a second can you see me nope not now <laughs> okay there you go yeah I tried, <laughs> tried to clean off the, the camera lens and then all of a sudden it was gone i couldn't hear you or anything so now i gotta embarrassingly ask you again to look, ask that question so look man i'm not professional as, as you can tell i don't have no <laughs> questions read so hey i'm not professional at all i'm saying that i'm used when, to this on the computer so now i'm just my phone's in front of me yeah. and i have to hold it it's kind of weird it's cool man when you were at your highest as a musician let's say if that person the right person came along and you got married and you had kids was it ever in the back of your mind how you were going to juggle being a musician and also being a husband and a father um, some, I mean, I'd already met, uh, the, the girl I ended up marrying, I'd met her before everything happened and she okay. had a daughter. And so when, uh, things kind of started picking up and everything broke in 2005, they, they moved from Texas to Nashville. So you know, from the minute I kind of, everything broke for me, I already had, uh, a girlfriend with a daughter and was kind of already doing the family thing at that point. Okay. And so it just okay. never was, I never was just, you know, fully out there as a crazy single guy. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything I had to, to think about. I just, it was always, 
you know, weird. Once it all hits, you do kind of have to question everybody's motive, no matter who you meet, as to what, you know, if they really truly want to be a friend or, or they're just hanging around because of what you might have to offer them. So that, that was a tough thing to balance once everything broke, but uh, never had to really deal with that as far as, you know, being a dad or husband or all that, because it was already, already in my life when everything broke. Right. So real quick, I want to go through some of your music, if that's cool with you and have you talk about it. And then we'll just, I'm going to jump around a little bit. So I'm probably not going to go in order. Uh, <laughs> that's just how I that's do. Fine. Okay, cool, man. Fine. Just get, give me one second here. Talk to me about this song right here. How did that song come about? And also, did you think it was going to be a big of a hit as it did? Um, well, okay. Well, first, uh, I wrote that with uh, John Rich and um, Kim Williams. And it was the first time that the, the three of us had written together. John had known of Kim. Kim's Hall of Fame songwriter, passed away a couple of years ago. It was just one of the greatest human beings I'd ever met. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd really taken me under his wing early and just kind of wrote with me and taught me so much about songwriting. And, and uh, I was able to, he was just, he was a, an older generation. Was, so he, 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 although everybody knew him, he wasn't writing with a lot of younger hit writers. And I was at that point already kind of doing that. So I st- was able to start bringing in guys like John Rich and George Dukas and other people like that to write things with him. And um, so I wrote Beer Run for Garth Brooks and George Jones with mm-hmm with uh kim williams and george dukas and that was the first time the three of us had written together and then the first time john and i got together with kim uh it was writing we wrote this song pick them off flowers and it it was just one of those things where kim was just crazy he was one of the funniest funniest people had that crazy dirty old man mind it was just <laughs> he was just a funny awesome guy that it you know in his seventies was still drinking moonshine and right. And just a blast to be around. And so he was excited to meet John. John's excited to meet him. And John came in with just that, you know, as, as a song, you're, you're always praying that you just have that some kind of hook, some kind of a thing, whether it's the lyric, whether it's the melody of the lyric or whether it's just a, a great guitar riff. And luckily this whole song had all three and it all started with that guitar riff, that opening riff. Uh, that John just had he'd been playing it over and over and decided to bring it to us and we when we first started talking we were just talking about how politically correct a lot of the country music had become and how there were songs back in the day with Chris Christopherson and um gosh lay you down the bed of roses and and some of the Conway stuff that were pretty suggestive and uh that you know country music kind of gotten away from a lot of that and was just kind of being real politically correct at the time and so we're like let's just write something real raunchy and swampy and he had that lick and so we just decided that's the whole thing was just kind of writing that double meaning all the way through that song that uh you know my grandmother always thought it was about me just picking flowers for my girlfriend (laughs) so we were able to have it to where it was you know disguised enough to where we could get it on radio but you know suggestive enough to where you knew what it was about if you (laughs) if you wanted to know what it was about right and so uh we i you know, wrote that. And then I was playing all over town for a long time, just uh, showcasing, trying to get record labels interested. And uh, we realized early on that that was a song that in our live set was connecting with people 
um, even though nobody had ever heard it on the radio, um, every time we play it live, it was, there was something special about it. So once we got signed to the record deal, we there were a couple other singles that were suggested to come out first, but uh, ultimately we were able to push for that one because we really felt strong about it. And it wound up number eight on the chart. So a top 10 for a debut single, which was actually really cool. And what was cool about your first album, which is titled uh, Three Chord Country and American Rock and Roll, was when it was remixed, you had freaking Steven Tyler on there doing background vocals. Man, how, how, because I want to talk about, I don't want you to to ruin it for the, for the audience, unless you've already seen it, but in one of your videos double xl you had a major rock star in that one as well which i want to talk about but how did you get upon getting steven tyler on this freaking song well that was a frustrating thing too because we we knew we knew we had a chance and you know steven at that point wasn't on you know any of these reality tv shows right. he hadn't done you know a lot of the, the american idol stuff or whichever one he was on he hadn't he hadn't kind of started getting out and doing all these duets. And so before he sang on the award show with Carrie Underwood or with these other people um, that we had that. So really felt like that was going to parlay into some crazy, crazy award performances, opportunities. And just, you know, at that point, Kid Rock and Cheryl Crow had the big duet on country radio and a lot, there was a lot of crossover happening with the rock stars, but nobody liked Steven Tyler. And so uh, I had the opportunity and uh, I, I'd written, I began writing with a guy named Mark Hudson, who was one of the Hudson brothers and um, writes a lot of rock music and produces, has written a bunch of the Aerosmith hits and has produced some of their, their hits. And he wrote Just, Just Push Play and a bunch of other right. stuff. Great friends with Steven. And uh, we just became good friends and we're writing a lot and just keeping in touch. And I uh, just, once that album came out, I thought, you know, let me just play that for Mark. And I played it and said, what do you, what do you think? you know, would this offend Steven? Is this something you think you'd like? Because we're talking about Aerosmith in this song and um, did a little vocal riff in there. That's a lot like what Steven Tyler would do. And he's like, man, I think he'd love it. He says, matter of fact, I'm going to play it for him. And so he was out on tour with him not too long after that and played it for Steven Tyler. And Steven just is the one that said, man, I, I'd like to sing on that. And he told him, he said, well, it's already on the record, but I could probably go back in and reproduce it and remix it with you on it. And, so he said yes, and we mm. were able to do that, get him in there. It was just surreal for me. And uh, it just kind of the timing of the record label got a little too excited. We still had every time I hear your name on the charts, it just hit number six and had a bullet was still definitely going to go in the top five. And we felt like it was going to be a number one. And for some reason, the head of my promotion staff, we, we probably never should have turned the remix in with Steven Tyler until we were done with every time I hear your name. But we were pretty excited about it. We had no idea that they would actually – just drop the wow. every time I hear your name single. Cause we, you know, we had a chance definitely to go top five with that, if not number one. And he just dropped it and then shoved that out to radio. And it just it was confusing to a lot of the radio folks because some of the stations that got on every time I hear your name was just now getting into power rotation. Some of the people that played it early were still getting great research on it. And so it just kind of, I think, confused them, made some of them mad because they were still trying to, you know, dig into every time I hear your name and, it just never, it never got legs on radio. And uh, a lot of people, you know, were really wanting Stephen to sing more on the verses and come to find out later he wanted to also, but Mark didn't really want to ask him to, to do too much. And uh, so it just was one of those things was 
it's an amazing thing that I know I've got to do. I know that I've got on recorded track. It's available on iTunes. It's not on the original record, but you, you can buy it on iTunes as a single with Steven Tyler. And uh, it, it's just a you know dream come true. But it's one of those things that was kind of bittersweet because it never really took hold like it, I feel like it should have or could have. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, what when they shipped off every time I hear your name for this Steven Tyler remix, what was your thought? Were you kind of like, oh, wow. Did you feel betrayed a little bit or was it kind of just maybe this, maybe dropping every time I hear your name is going to be the best thing for us because it's going to put out the single with Steven Tyler. Well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you know, I was brand new at this. It was every time I hear your name was was just my third single. So um, right. we had Pick One Flowers, and then Double XL came out, and uh, it stalled in the twenties. We thought that was going to be a lot bigger, um, and then all of a sudden, every time I hear your name just took off like wildfire. And so we felt great about it, but they were so convincing. The head of my promotion was just like, "Man, this is like a cannon just waiting to be shot." This Steven Tyler remake. He said, you know, we're, he kind of convinced me we were starting to lose traction every time I hear your name. Then I was able to find out later because when every time, when the Steven Tyler duet, Three Chord Country and American Rock and Roll didn't take off immediately, then they decided they were going to try to get every time I hear your name back up the charts to uh, number one. And that even became more confusing to the radio folks. And so that's when I kind of started realizing, wow, they really didn't know what they were doing there and kind of, kind of messed mm-hmm. this all up altogether. Because not only did we not get the top five or number one originally, then when they tried to go back, it really confused and made some of the radio people really mad because they'd already gotten off every time and didn't like the Steven Tyler. And then they asked him to get back on every time I hear your name. And it, it just was, it was a weird, weird, confusing time. And it took us a while to kind of get, get our footing back after all that. And uh, therefore, I think the next single, Podunk, struggled a little bit. And it took us until we put the second CD out with I Still Miss You to really kind of regain some traction. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about some of those, but first I want to talk about um, the one that I was talking about earlier, Double XL right here. Here's a little clip of that. Double XL, Double XL, call me on the phone, just ring my dinner bell. Double XL, Double XL, I'm a lean, mean love machine that likes to be held. Baby, I'm a Double XL. Where did it come from to go that baby? I'm a, how did that come upon into the into the into the writing session? Oh, just I wrote that Bob DePiro, just a great, fun, fun, fun guy, big Italian guy with even a bigger laugh. And we were just we actually got together and we're just talking about um, it was right after 9-11 and we were just talking about how everything had changed we both had biscuits and gravy that morning just talking about growing up <laughs> big family and big guys right and the funny thing is that ended up being in a, in a grand's biscuit commercial eventually um so it was funny that we that whole day started talking about biscuits and gravy and ended up you know getting that song in a commercial for a biscuit um but i remember that i think i think i remember that honestly yeah yeah but go ahead i'm sorry yeah. Well, we were just talking about um, uh, just how everything had changed at 9-11 and, and that, you know, a lot of the sex symbols of, of America had changed. It wasn't the Brad Pitts and the Tom Cruises from Hollywood. It was that time was the big husky firemen and policemen that were helping clean things up in New York. And 
we were just like, you know, it's about time that the big and tall, the husky guys get to be, you know, the heroes and the sex symbols and just laughing about it growing up that way. So that kind of got us into thinking about writing a song about growing up that way. And, uh, and we were just laughing the whole time we were writing that song and uh, uh, got to that ending. And I'd, I had just been listening to a lot of George Jones at that time and just always thought it was so funny on White Lightning when he would do that, you know, White Lightning, you know. And I just, at that point, we're just kind of, the whole thing was like, woo, baby, you know, I'm a double XL. And at one of the times when we were just singing it down on the demo, I just threw that, woo, baby. And he thought it was hilarious. So uh, we ended up doing the demo that way and it just kind of, continued on all the way through the recording of it now i was watching a couple of these music videos yesterday um well at the time we were recording and i was just kind of trying to relive the moments and try to figure out where i was at when i first heard the songs and i guess when i was younger i didn't realize that tommy lee was in the video for double xl and i thought it was funny because <laughs> it scrubs had dr feel good and it was but my first impression was, how did this music video get pitched to country radio? Because when you first see it, it's kind of like a porno, Keith. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> well, we wanted to, it's the sky looks like something's going on, but then you realize, yeah. you know, yeah. that he's delivering a baby, but it does look like something else is going on. That was kind of the funniness of it. Um, and to your point, the, uh, the CMT actually never played it they wouldn't play it because they wow. felt like it was it was frustrating to us because you know they just thought that their things were we can't play that for kids and i'm like there's not a kid around that's going to know what that suggestive <laughs> opening video is about <laughs> only parents will but at that same time honky donk badonka donk and yep. uh, was being played in heavy rotation on cmt where they got the girls butt cheeks hanging out and <laughs> you know all that it's pretty obvious that any kid's going to know what that is and at that point dirk bentley had the um, which, which video was it where they're, they're rolling around in the sand and the girls got come like, a little closer. It's not even Simpsons, it's lingerie. And it's, uh, uh, and it's just, you're just sitting there going, man, how are, you know, there's right. once again, kids aren't going to mistake what that is, but for some reason they felt like that ours was too much, which it's nothing but, you know, only adults would get what was actually being suggested there. So it's kind of frustrating. But it was awesome having Tommy Lee and also uh, Eddie George, the the, the All-American, the Heisman Trophy winning running back. And at that time, he was an all-pro for the uh, Tennessee Titans. He was the, the big black football player that's in the video also with all the little kids. So it was it was a fun day of filming with those two guys. And Tommy was – he was crazy. Uh, we, he got there at 10 a.m. He was there first thing. They had a show in Knoxville that night. And so he just brought his bus in and – invited me on we talked forever that morning and then he had a jägermeister machine on his bus and we were drinking shots of jägermeister at 10 a.m 11 a.m getting ready for this video shoot but it was the funniest thing just watching him as, as we're filming that his face come up and just tommy lee this iconic rock star doing the baby it was just to watch him do that was just one of those satisfying moments go wow i wrote that goofy thing and here's tommy lee this iconic rock star doing it and here and we, had, we had a lot of we had a couple of deals. I saw your kiss shirt earlier. Our original <laughs> idea was to, to reach out to Gene Simmons to, to play that part. Right. And um, as we were thinking about it, um, we found I found out that Motley Crue is going to be close. And I had some friends uh, in the music out in L.A. that knew him. 
And uh, and I was, it just clicked. I was like, God, if he would do it and could wear the Dr. Feelgood scrub, that's even more of a tie-in on this right. thing. And so uh, they reached out, played it for him. He thought it was hilarious and said yes. And, and the rest is history. Then we also had this song right here, which you just talked about every time I hear your name. I feel rain falling right out of the blue sky. It's the May, and I'm right there staring in your eyes. And nothing's changed, and we're still the same. And I get lost in the innocence of the first kiss. And I'm hanging on to every word rolling off of your lips. And that's all it takes, and I'm in that place every time. Come on, man. That's the jam right there. I mean, that's that is probably my favorite of the Keith Anderson songs. And so and I, Thanks, I'm watching man. I'm watching you as as can you hear these songs, by the way? Yeah. OK, I'm watching you yeah. as I'm playing and you're smiling and it looks like you're remembering what 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 do you when I'm playing these? What, what, what are you thinking of? What, what is it reminding you of? Oh, uh, just a, a lot of it is just how much I've missed touring this last year, just not really being able to go out and do much. And what we did last year was just mainly little private shows here or there or a lot of Facebook Live in our own house. And and it's just, you know, that song's just been such a big deal to so many people. And it's one of those songs that, that you know, people go crazy when they hear the guitar riff on Pick Em Off Flowers. But I think we have more emotional reaction to that song. And it, it's, it's, I miss singing it live with all the people singing it back. And just, um, it's one of those songs that, you know, no matter how many times you do shows, I can always look it down the set list and start getting excited when I know we're getting close to that song, just because of how fun it is and the reaction you get from every, and, and it's one of those songs also, my label, they tried to, after picking off flowers, they wanted to stay with this real rock heavy image and come out with double XL second. And I really wanted to come out with this song second. And I think that would have been a better plan because they would have been back-to-back -back top 10 hits. Right. Um, but anyway, they they were just, it's so, I guess it's so hard what they said. It was so hard when a new artist comes out to get the guys that want to buy it and the guys that want to come out to the concert and drink beer and the guys that want to, you know, they're, they're looking, you know, when an artist breaks, the girls are usually the ones that are driving all that and the guys go to the concerts because they're going to chase the girls. <laughs> but we had a real connection with the guys also with Pick Em Off Flowers and then Double uh, uh, XL kind of continued. It, it did satisfy what they were looking for. It kind of kept that that guy um, dominance. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we had tons of guys coming out just wanting to party um, with me and, you know, and the girls were there too. So we kind of had both, both audiences. But they were worried about something like every time I hear your name coming out and kind of changing that. And I always laugh because it's, it never ceases to amaze me that when we get to that last part and you know, I, have, I have the audience sing the last course, the first half of the last course and the, the house lights come up so you can see the audience singing along. And it's just funny to me because they're always worried that the guys were gonna be the one, like this song was gonna turn off guys and kind of you know doing a big ballad like that would kind of affect my image with, with the Bubba's and the, the Manly Man. But right. it is funny because Every guy in the world's had their heart broken, just like I have. And that story, we were able to tell that story in a way where it really connects with people. And when those lights come up, there, I, 
I swear there's just as many groups I see of just four guys that are best friends growing up that are just arm in arms around each other, <laughs> holding their beers up, singing every word to that song at the top of their lungs, just screaming it. And I always laugh thinking, man, record label, they were so wrong on that one, thinking that, you know, that was only going to be a chick song because some of the biggest 300 pound bubba's out there with beer in hand are just screaming that word, swaying back and forth with their high school buddies. It's awesome. What's the last song you sing on your set list? Is it Picking Wildflowers? Yeah. Yeah. We usually, usually we end with that one. It depends on the situation. Um, there for a while we closed with Every Time I Hear, or with I Still Miss You, just because it was, you know, we, it was so close to me and what I went through with my family and losing my mom to brain cancer. But uh, it just kind of became where we didn't want to just leave the show like that, where it was just down. But it, at that point, it was such a big hit that it was easy to close with that one too. But, you know, our, my shows, you know, most of the hits people know me for now are these big power ballads. Right. The show in the whole is really more of a rock show. It's, it's, you know, there's the only ballads we play are the, the, the hits I've had on the radio. And so everything else is just, you know, basically a rock show with, with all the upper up-tempo stuff. So it's easier to kind of say that pick them off flowers is for the last song. And it's kind of normal to see people that have, you know, these big hits, the bigger hits be the last one, because that's what everybody comes to hear, you know? Yeah. I, I got a question about picking wildflowers for you. Well, not, not, not about the song, but, and I don't, you're probably not going to remember this because people are going to be like, remember when you met me back in 2000, yada, yada, yada. But you had the, you, you were coming, I'm from Mississippi, right? So you were coming to do a show in Mississippi a, a while ago when picking wildflowers was, was the song. And I think you had to pull out because you had something, a throat surgery, or you were having trouble with your throat. Do you, do you kind of remember when that happened? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a big deal. Those, those first years, you know, we were pretty open about it because I did have to cancel uh, quite a few shows during that year. And we just kept trying to fight through it and think everything was going to get better. But you know, mm -hmm. those first couple of years in a new artist's career are so tough because you're on the road constantly during the week, going out to radio stations and meeting the, the radio, uh, the music programmer and the, the, the program director, music director. And you, you're just trying to shake hands and get to know them. And hopefully they like you and want to play your music and like your music. But you're doing all these radio visits and singing, you know, six in the morning, seven in the morning, and then going and doing a conference room concert for the whole staff. And then you go to the next, you do two or three radio stations a day like that. And then you go and do shows at night and there's just yeah. so much talking and singing and talking and singing. And it's, it's, it's rough um, vocally on the new artists. And there's, you know, there's a lot more vocal surgeries in, in Nashville and the artists, you, there are probably, probably fewer artists that haven't had surgery than have had surgery in this town, but just, you know, most people kind of keep it on the down low just because right. I don't know why they're worried about that image, but for me, it was something that changed my life because when we finally got into it, we were going to the vocal doctor and having to do all these vocal scopes and they stick a camera down your throat and look at your vocal cords. We realized over time that I had, you know, a couple of, I had a very vascular vocal cord, which is not a great thing because every time you'd just be beating them up and singing too much, right. there were some veins on the surface that would kind of hit each other and it would cause what's called a bruising or swelling of your vocal cords. Um, you know, technically they call it bleeding vocal cord, but what it is just a bruise. So it's like blood under the surface. 
But when it happens, they swell, then they don't close properly when you're singing or talking and it just blows everything up. So eventually we were able to figure out exactly what those, where those veins were and go in and just do a surgery where they cauterize those. And it, luckily it wasn't, they didn't have to cut them open and remove any kind of polyp. But by doing that, they were able to kind of eliminate those surface right. um, veins, the vascularity on the surface. And it just changed my world after that because I haven't had any kind of vocal issues since. But it was that we had about a year there where we were just fighting through it, hoping it would get better, hoping it would go away and not wanting to cancel anything because, you know, when things start happening, you got to take advantage of all that. When you have a surgery like that, you have to go for just about a month without saying a word and, and then slowly go back into it. So it's about a two month process and nobody really wants to, you know, take that time off. So we kind of fought through until we got closer to the holidays where we knew we weren't going to be that busy anyway. And we're able to do that and. It's the best thing I've ever done. But yeah, it was that was a hard time because it was just frustrating not being able to control that and not knowing when it was going to happen and not really being able to pull back on what we were trying to do with, you know, meeting everybody and doing the show and then doing the meet and greet afterwards and making sure you say hi to everybody and doing all the, the radio interviews and radio shows. So it was it's pretty rough first couple of years on the new artist. You know, I just learned this actually because i'm just a big music nerd and just a nerd in general i love to research and learn and i did not know when a musician has like water or beer or whatever in a red solo cup that it's actually lukewarm or room temperature because cold yeah. does something to your vocal cords i did not know that and i thought that was one of the coolest things that i'd learned like i was like oh so they're <laughs> you know it was just yeah. something that I, I that i did not know and i thought it was really interesting Generally, yeah. I mean, if I'm bringing a, you know, a cup out that's got, you know, Coke and whiskey in it, <laughs> my Jack and Diet, it's going to have some, it's going to have some ice on it. But I also, the any water I have out there is, is room temperature. So if I do start feeling any kind of, and you have to, I mean, you really have to, when you're on the road like that, you have the first thing you can, I would always have three or four bottles of water in my bunk in the corners of the bunk just so every time wow. i woke up at night first thing in the morning i'm drinking water because you gotta you gotta start early to make sure you're completely hydrated by the time you get to that show just because it's it's so important just like anything else if you you're dry the first thing that you get gets dry is you know you call it cotton mouth and it's you know if you got if you get to the stage and you got cotton mouth then you could be in trouble that night of trying to have your full range and that's why a lot of people you'll see people chewing gum on stage it's, right. you know, they realize as they get close to the show, they haven't drank enough water and they have to have something to kind of keep the spit in their mouth and keep them from, from drying up. So they, <laughs> you know, they stay hydrated and lubricated. Do you mind if we talk about lost in this moment? Because I, this to me is one of the possibly greatest wedding songs ever written. And, and, here I have a little I have a little background of it and let me let me know if this is actually right of what I have written down here. So you you and Big and Rich, who are the original recorders, actually recorded this song, Lost in This Moment, at this same exact time. You guys didn't know about it. Yeah. And then John Rich, which is a good friend of yours, called and said, Hey guys, you got a new single from me. You thought it was one of the bangers that you guys wrote together, and it was actually lost in this moment. And then when you report uh, recorded it and you put it on your come on album you titled yeah. it lost in this moment with you so i wonder why title it different than what it was actually titled at first i that was it wasn't on purpose we when we recorded it and and put the demo down 
um, I think we recorded it and labeled it as lost this moment with you. I don't know okay. that for sure. Um, and I, as you're saying that, I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the CD in forever. So I guess, is that what's list, how it's listed yep. on the CD? Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know. That may have been, that could have actually even been a typo with the label when they were just writing things down, but lost this moment with you. Cause I think it was originally titled either lost. I think it was lost this moment was always the title. So I don't know. That wasn't on purpose. I mean, it didn't, wasn't going to affect anything publishing wise by recording the different title. And we right. knew at that time they had just put it out. And the only reason I put it on my, my CD is because we'd already spent a lot of money recording it, thinking it was going to be my second single. And, uh, and then they announced it was me, their first single. Uh, they were putting their third record out. I just put my second CD out when we all found out. And so, you know, we, at that point, it was a bummer because I knew what a big hit that could be for me. And I kind of thought it was weird that a duo was singing a wedding song, but it, you know, it was turned out to be number one for all of us. So it was awesome. But at that point we decided to go ahead and put it on my CD. Cause my, my recording was a pretty much a different take. Theirs was kind of a mid tempo, right. You know, faster version. And mine was more this, the way we did the original demo, which was a lot slower, more kind of ethereal and romantic and, and, um, and, and we just, you know, we figured it's on there. It couldn't hurt. They just had a number one. And if people knew that I'd written that, they might want to hear my version of it anyway. And so we put that on there. But, you know, nothing, it was, wasn't was no, nothing on purpose of re recording under a, different, a slightly different title because all the publishing was going to be the same anyway. It's interesting. Um, so do you still work out much? Because I remember uh, you used to be like a bodybuilder before, um, you know, you got second place and then, then you went to music. So do you still kind of work out some? I started again. It was, there was a tough time there. And I, I, you know, not gonna lie. I put on a ton of weight um, during that custody battle. It was about three years and it was just a dark time. I, I yeah. was, uh, my ex-wife had taken the kids and fled to Texas and wouldn't let me see them hardly at all. And I was just fighting, fighting in a legal battle from Tennessee all the way, you know, trying to see my kids in Texas, trying to get them back home. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a dark time, man. And it was one of those things where I had plenty of time, but just didn't have the motivation for a, for a long time and, and uh, got out of shape. And so once I got the kids back, it was a handful just trying to figure out the schedule and trying to right. stay above water as a single dad. And uh, um, about, gosh, about this time last year is when I just started getting, you know, I was like, man, I, got to get back in shape we're about to start touring again so started working out again and then uh mid-summer late summer uh started working with the trainer again and uh, working with the same guy that works with luke bryan and has worked with dirk spinley in the past and he comes to my house three mornings three three days a week at 6 a.m and just mm. kills me i'm limping around most of the time my kids they they are they, they hardly ever see him because they're still sleeping but they just know him as Brad the monster because I call him. I say he's a monster. He's horrible. He's evil. And they're like he's not evil. They're they're funny, but yeah, he's he's awesome, and it's it just feels good to be getting back into great shape again. Mm. I just want to. Uh, these these are something that I do on the podcast, which is called like quick question, quick answer, which is just me coming up with questions in my head, and you just saying the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you cool with that? Yeah. One album to listen to for the rest of your life. You get trapped on an island, and for some reason, there's a CD player in the tree. You get one album to listen to for the rest of your life. Oh, gosh. Eagles Greatest Hits. 
Okay. Okay. I, I'll let you slide with that one. I, I'll let you slide with the greatest hits. I'll let you slide. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst pain you've ever felt in your life? Whether it be worst. emotionally or physically. Yeah. It was, it was when, you know, my kids were taken away from me and just, mm-hmm. I've never gone to that, that I've been the happiest, joyfulest person in my life. And, and, you know, uh, just everything changed. It was just a dark place of not knowing if, how I was going to see him again. Certainly praying that, you know, God would see favorable as to giving me custody of him, knowing what was going on. And so, um, yeah, well, the worst, worst pain, worst physical pain. I, I don't know. I've been dealing with plantar fascialis this last four months and I just had another flare up just after my workout two days ago and it, it, it or yesterday. And it's just one of the most painful things just trying to just trying to walk. So that, yeah. or I've had a really bad lower back injury before too, as far as that, but I'd say the worst pain I've ever gone through is that two and a half, three years of just fighting for my kids. You know, yesterday I was like, this is the worst day because I, yesterday morning I'd ran to the to store and I'd come back and this lady had gotten into my lane and I had to slam on brakes and it was raining bad. So I hydroplaned and I wrecked yesterday Ooh. morning. I spent all day yesterday in emergency room. I bruised my ribs, did something to my left side of my neck. And so if I'm not, if I'm making faces or something, I apologize for that. But that, and, you know, bruised ribs, man. I have heard people say they break. That's not a joke. Like I used to think. No, I've had broken ribs before in a go-kart accident. Dude. And it's it's one of the worst things because just breathing hurts and right and you don't realize how many times you hug somebody or just somebody walking up going hey man how you doing and slap you in the, in the you side al- you the also don't like, realize oh! you also don't realize yeah. the movement your ribs make when you make any kind of movement when you walk when you sit yeah. when you lay even when you go to the bathroom like it's just like yeah oh my god and so like i'm sitting here like sitting on one side i'm like i hope it doesn't see that i'm in pain here <laughs> so, yeah trying to sleeping's hard because every time you try to roll over oh, or move in your bed you're using all those same muscles well the thing is i'm having a hard time sleeping because it's the left side of my neck and my right ribs so it's like any either way i turn i'm hurting and i'm just like oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite tv show of all time Oh man, uh, probably Friends, just because of that yeah. the way it was. At that point, you know, it may not be the best, whatever. But at that point in my life, I was—I had a group of friends. Uh, we were all at the same church and involved in the youth group, and and uh, uh, we we're you know some of the youth pastors, and mm. and we would get together every Thursday night, and that was just our thing to watch Friends and Seinfeld, and you know, mainly Friends, and it just became a thing where it was just you know we knew what we were going to do so just because of that event over the years that's that's probably the one that sticks out as my favorite just because it had such an impact let me ask you a question about friends which is one of my favorite tv shows of all time as well were ross and rachel on a break yeah yeah i think the same thing i think the same thing i do too i had someone argue go ahead they just couldn't let they couldn't let Ross win. He was he was the ultimate kind of sad loser, you know, and and it, he you know cared for her so much it made it more emotional that she still she was mad right. because she still liked him. But you you know she's the yeah it was a break obviously. 
I had a musician on here one time. I don't remember who it was. They argue with literally Keith for 45 minutes about how they were not on a break. And I'm sitting there like, when she comes to you and she says, hey, I think we need to take time apart. Wouldn't you consider that somewhat of a breakup or on a break a little bit? <laughs> and they're sitting there. No, because this point here, and I'm like, oh, my Jesus. <laughs> no, there's no argument. I mean, it's just cut and dry. There was a break. There was a break. <laughs> So, man, last couple of questions for you. I want to talk about um, this last song right here that I want to talk about, which is I Still Miss You. And before I play it here, I was I was listening to an interview that you did with uh, Lance from CMT back in the day. And you were talking about how, you know, your mom passed away from cancer and you were sitting you were just in your own mind and you were like, you know, she didn't get to see this and that. But you were like, no, actuality, she got to see me at when I was the biggest in my career with, you know, picking wildflowers and all that. And so once you released this song, she passed away. It just, it just meant more to you. So I want to play it right now. If you're cool with that. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to friends, talked to myself, talked to God, I pray like hell, but I still miss you. I've tried sober, I've tried drinking, I've been strong and I've been weak and I so when this song was written, it's kind of a breakup song? Yeah. When it was first written, you know, my mom was still healthy and there was really nothing about it. Didn't even think about it. It was, I, it was the first time I'd written with Jason Sellers and Tim Nichols. And we were just kind of talking and getting to know each other. And just out of the blue, Jason said, hey, I just got to tell you, your song, every time I hear your name, really helped me get through a breakup. And uh, he'd actually been dating one of the Dixie Chicks. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, I had a hard time getting through that. And he said, your song got, really kind of helped me and, and spoke to me. And he started talking about what he'd gone through. And at that point, I kind of, you know, Tim and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, he's kind of giving us more he still information of right. writing another song. Yeah. Right. And so we, we kind of took, just went forward with that and, and wrote I Still Miss You as, a, as just another breakup song. And, you know, fast forward a year and a half when we're in the mm -hmm. studio recording and, you know, right as we started that, that early spring is when we found out that my mom had been diagnosed with brain cancer and my uh, producer, Jeffrey Steele, had just lost his 13-year-old son in a four-wheeler accident. And so it just became this kind of as we were digging into this song and recording it, it just took on a whole new meaning for all of us in the studio and uh, kind of had that mindset going in to record it, but still, you know, the lyrics were the same. And so when we released it, we just, we didn't want any preconceived notions. So we just sent it out and we quickly got messages from the radio folks that they were, it was just a huge call in song. And that it was, they said, it's weird because we're getting a lot of calls about, you know, people that are missing their ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, but we're also getting a lot of calls from people who have lost a son or daughter in the, in the, in the war in the military and, people who's had family members die and that's when we realized it kind of did have a double meaning at that point and it was going to be a little more powerful than just the, a breakup song and and then uh that was virginia tech had that big shooting and people used that song for a couple of the montages that were going on at that time mm -hmm. and uh just kind of kept rolling and so by the time we got to early late spring early summer we knew it was going to be a big enough hit to make our video 
I really wanted to go in and kind of make the videos a tribute to my mom. So that's how that the whole idea of the video came along was, is, you know, my mom had, was at the last stages of her, her life at that point. So we just kind of did it as a tribute. And then once she passed away, it was still, you know, we were going for number one on that song two weeks after she had passed away. So it was really hard to just go out there and sing that every night, but we had to, because it was the big hit on the radio and, and, um, you know, we just, we knew that's what people were coming to hear at that time. And so once she did pass away, we went and re-edited the video with the, with the in memory of my mom at the end of it. Did you ever break down at all singing that song after she passed? Like I can imagine the first oh. time I can imagine the first time after you, you know, she, let's say she, you know, she died on a Tuesday night and you got a show Friday afternoon and then you have to sing it because like you said, it's almost number one. It's the biggest, almost yeah. the biggest song in the country. And you have to play yeah, it. Like it, was, only- it was rough. And the fans knew too. And it was we it was crazy because it was a it was a show here in Nashville, which we never do. Uh, we've been booked at the Wild Horse. And so my brother and dad, my brothers and dad flew in for it. And man, the just the signs in the audience, I'll get choked up even talking about it, but the signs mm-hmm. in the audience, you know, of support and knowing my dad and brother were there. It was it was hard. And I've broken down. I mean, I still there's still days right. now that song it'll hit me and I'll, I will break down. And there's, there's been multiple times that I just didn't think I couldn't get through it. We had to stop and kind of vamp for a little bit and let the band kind of knows that that's, right. that's that song could go, especially during that first year, those guys knew that that song could go either way. We might get all the way through it without a hitch or it may be something where I've got to just step back from the mic. And I mean, I've openly wept in front of huge audiences during that song just because of different things that could go on d- during the show or during that song that just kind of speaks to me. And I know my mom's there. So yeah, it's, it's still rough to get through that sometimes. Last couple of questions for you. And this is, this is one that has a two question part to it. When you're doing these interviews, and I know you said you haven't done a lot in the past while, but when you were doing them, what's the one question you knew you were always going to get? Oh, gosh. Well, in the early days, they don't know you and you don't have a history of like, you've been great because I can tell you've done research and watched past interviews and you've got some interesting questions. But well, I appreciate in the that. beginning, there, yeah, there's so many new there's so many new artists and it's not anybody's fault, but, you know, all they have to go on, you know, they'll have three or four new artists coming in a week. So, yeah, you know, and they don't know who's going to last and who's not. So they don't know who, you know who to really spend time and all they really have is that biography and that I had no idea if I'd known that that original biography that you put out uh, when you're a new artist was going to be the basis of so many repetitive questions <laughs> I probably would have made it a little bit bigger a little bit more uh, a little more information for people to pick from because there at the beginning man all they want to do is just talk about graduating number one in engineering the, open, right. uh, the mr oklahoma bodybuilding days the, the the being drafted by kansas city baseball and it just over and over and over and over and uh and at that time when we uh you know came out i was in people magazine's bachelor issue and i was you know there was a bunch of that stuff going on also and so probably i mean it's just one of those where it's almost cliche, but there was a lot of those questions of boxers or briefs early on. And it was like a <laughs> big, big question early on all the time. 
Well, which, which is it? Boxers or briefs? <laughs> That's what I always tell them. I'd say, well, where's my jeans so tight? Neither. <laughs> I'm commando. <laughs> now, were you ever scared if you really were going commando? Were you ever scared if you did a kick or anything like that, your pants would just rip in front of everybody? Because I remember Jake yeah, Owen had that a couple of years ago, and he had to go and duct tape his pants. Yeah, Lenny Kravitz did that just like last year, I think. Yeah, that's that's always been because I have ripped jeans on stage. I've ripped jeans a couple times on stage, but luckily both times I did have underwear. Um, but yeah, that's definitely when you're out there commando, you you have to be aware of that and make sure they're they're a newer pair of jeans. Like it's like you know you've worn them for a while and they're starting to kind of get worn, you know, in in that area that that you always make sure you you put the underwear on. Now, what's one question or one subject that you never get asked or never get to talk about that you're just like, I wish this person would ask me about this? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I've ever thought that deep into it other than um, it's a good question. I I don't know that I've ever thought that. I've always just kind of go with the flow and and uh, hopefully there are the great questions. I don't think I've ever, usually if there's something going on that I want to be asked, you kind of, you know, you kind of figure out a way to sneak that in there and talk about right. your new website or your new merchandise <laughs> or your new CD you have to drop or anything like that. But, you know, I talk a lot about my kids. So I, I know that that's, you know, something that, um, you know, people, I've asked a lot about recently when they find out what all I've gone through and, and, um, and, you know, what I love in the music is the songwriting just as much as performing. So and I get asked a lot about both of those like you did today. So I don't know. I don't know if there is anything. Well, Keith, look, now's the time to plug anything you want to plug. You've been on with me for an hour, which I'm greatly appreciative. Um, hope I wasn't too unprofessional for you. Um, so go ahead and plug no. whatever you want. Talk about whatever you want to talk about now. I would just hope we're starting to book shows. Hopefully, hopefully everything this year, get, that was cross fingers. Not, I wasn't flipping you off or anything. It was, I was crossing. <laughs> my, hopefully everything this year stays in the books and we don't have another year like last year where the coronavirus kind of wipes out mm. everything we're trying to do musically, everything everybody tried to do musically last year. Cause we need live music, just like we need live sports. We need to get our lives back to normal and hopefully, but we have to do it in a safe way. So right. hopefully that's going to happen this year. And so um, oh, if y'all need to know anything, KeithAnderson.com is the place to go to figure out, you know, uh, where we're going to be, what's going on. Uh, hopefully we get some new music in the works this year too. And, um, and get a lot of fun new stuff going that we're kind of working on behind the scenes, hopefully can come to surface. So really um, KeithAnderson.com, I got the, facebook page keith anderson look for the verified checkbook because there's a lot of creeps out there that's always yep. creating fake accounts um so if it doesn't have the blue check mark it's not me and i'm on twitter and uh kind of taking some time off all that but getting ready to just jump back in with a vengeance and then instagram um just not starting on that so uh <laughs> growing that i gotta get my numbers up so i can make sure to get verified i got 200 and 300,000 people follow me on Facebook and Twitter, but uh, I haven't really got my numbers up on Instagram yet. So y'all go click on I'll that. I'll go follow you and then I'll share it on my thing. We'll try to get it up. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. All right, Keith, look, I appreciate it, really. You don't, you don't yeah, know what too, it means. Man. It's been, it's uh, been fun. 
I can't believe when you said it's been an hour, I, I was like looking down going, really? That, that flew by. I, I appreciate it. It was fun talking.